Eix in the Greek means one who has come to stand with Christ. The launch of the church at the day of Pentecost gave way to a new breed of a child of God, which is filled with grace, relationship, and power. It's time for you to rise, X-Men. said that when Constantine, who was the ruler of the Roman Empire, had his vision that caused him to convert from paganism to Christianity, that he saw the Greek letters, chi and rho, that were intertwined. Chi is written as an X and rho is written as a P. These were intertwined. And as Constantine had that vision, it literally changed the Roman Empire from being a pagan empire to in one day's time, they became a Christian nation. They are the first two letters, the chi and the rho, are the first two letters of the Greek word for Christ. X is also used alone to stand for Christ. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about X-Men. Now, a lot of you are wondering, how in the world could I make X-Men religious? Well, I'm going to. Because the original X-Men were Christians, X standing for Jesus Christ. And so in our lives, we have been called to be X-Men, the rise of a new breed. So as we take this journey over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at how this new breed lives. This, today, we're going to be talking about a new culture. Next week, we're going to be talking about a new life. The following week, we're going to be talking about a new language. And then the fourth and final week, we're going to be talking about a new power that God has given into each and every one of our lives. And so this whole concept comes out of the book of Acts. So would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, the second chapter today. And as you're doing that, let me greet our campuses. I'm Eddie Couples. And I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Ministries, and I'm thankful that you're with us today in the different campuses across the area. We believe that God has a word for you, that he's already ministered to you, but he is going to continue to do that today. So let's get ready to hear what God is going to speak into our lives today. Now we're going to be talking about this new culture, so would you take your Bibles and look in the book of Acts, the second chapter, and I'm going to begin reading in the 42nd verse and read down through the 47th verse out of the New International Version of the Bible. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I want to tell you, that's a new culture. That's a new way of living. That's a new way of life than it had been before that. Before this point in time, in the Old Testament culture, it was about uh, what you did, when you went to certain places and all of this. But Acts 2, 42 through 47 shows us a glimpse of what 
X-Men or Christians are really like. That they live lives of passion. They live lives of power. They live lives of anointing. I, I mean, I, I love the, the passage of Scripture there where it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Don't you want to get to a place again where the church is looked at in awe because, not because of the scandals, not because of the bad things that we have done, but genuinely because there is so much that is happening of signs and wonders and miracles that people are stepping back and going, we don't know what's going on there, but we want to be part of a church that's making a difference in the world. Amen? And so that's what God's called us to do. And the Bible says that they continued together from house to house, from a temple, and it says there that they continued in the apostles' doctrine. So if we're going to establish uh, a new culture, then we have to know how they established that. And so how do we find that? We find that in the apostles' doctrine. Now, where's the apostles' doctrine? Well, it's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the Gospels. That's telling us about Jesus Christ and his life. It's not found in the book of Acts because the book of Acts is just showing us uh, the inauguration of the church. It's showing us the, the church coming into existence and as it begins to function and form itself and move forward. But beginning in Romans, we, through the rest of the New Testament, we find uh, what the, the Word of God has to say to us and how that we are to live uh, as believers in this culture. It's called the epistles uh, that are written to the church. The word epistles just means letters that were written to different churches. And in that, we find out how that we live day in and day out. Now I want to tell you, there is a culture of Christianity that we need to grasp a hold of again. And, and I'm going to talk about a little bit of it today. I, I kind of want to do this. I want to take the first part of the sermon today and kind of show you what the culture of the New Testament church is. And then I want to kind of end today in showing you how to live, how to operate day in and day out in that culture. The first thing you need to understand when you study Scripture about the whole culture of the New Testament church is this, is that it was about relationship, not ritual, all right? In the Old Testament, it was all about ritual. It was about bringing a turtle dove, and they had to you know, take its head off and take the blood and, and bloody the altar up and then they would offer the little turtle dove as an offering and then you were free to go because now your sins had been forgiven and you could go do certain and, and it was all about those kind of things. It was about what you could wear and what you couldn't wear. You couldn't wear, uh, in the Old Testament, you couldn't wear clothing of mixed texture. Now, all of us would be probably sinning this morning. Right? But in the Old Testament, it was all about, uh, you know, you had to wear pure cotton or pure linen or pure whatever. It was a symbol and a significance in the Old Testament culture of their set apart to God. I mean, there, there were all these ritualistic things that were in the Old Testament. But when you come into the New Testament, it's, it's about relationship. It's about having a relationship with God. In fact, the Scripture refers to it this way. It says that we are no longer slaves, but we are now children of God. Now, I, I want to tell you, there is all the difference in the world in being a slave and being a child. A, a, a slave waits to be called. A slave uh, waits to be told what to do. A slave, but a child, ha, have you ever noticed that your children just show up? 
right? I mean, it doesn't, it really doesn't. You can be, you and, and your spouse can be in the deepest conversation of the world, and your kids are just walking in with some of the most inane, most off-the-wall, crazy stuff to ask you, what does it mean? And you just look at them and go, really? I mean, we, we were here. We were right at the moment of, 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 of something great happening here, and, and you came in to ask us, where did my belly button come from? Uh, you know, or, or, I just can't. I mean, you know, that's, that's the difference. Children have relationship. You and I have been given a relationship with God Almighty. The Bible says that we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The Old Testament was all about rituals. If I did the right things, if I you know, handled things properly, on and on and on. New Testament is about relationship. It's about developing a relationship with Jesus Christ. Day in and day out that I'm walking in favor with Him. I'm walking in anointing with Him. I'm walking in His Spirit. That He, that he and I literally are having conversations. You know, it's interesting to me how many people don't talk to God all week long. Well, amen. You know, you, you show up on Sunday and he has to say to one of his angels, who's that? They look familiar. I think they're one of mine, but I haven't seen them for a while. I haven't talked to them all week long. You know, a relationship's about talking. A relationship's about being involved. A, a relationship is, is about spending time together. If, if the only time you spend with God is what you do in a church house, then you're not really in a relationship. You're in ritual. See, there are a lot of people who have ritual, and they call it Christianity. They would say, I'm an X-man, but they're not. Why? Because all they do is show up. Listen, showing up to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to the gym makes you fit. I mean, you can walk into the gym every day. I mean, you just drive by, go out, walk in. But if you don't work out, you're never going to get fit. It's the same way people walk into the church. I'm a Christian. It doesn't make you a Christian to walk into the church. What makes you a Christian is your relationship with God Almighty. So when we look at what the new culture is for the church, we find out that it's about relationship. And everything, watch this, everything from that point on is built on our relationship. If I understand my relationship, then these other things that I'm going to talk about today will make sense. If I don't understand my relationship then some of these things I'm going to talk to you, you're going to do one of two things with them. One thing that you're going to do is you're going to use it as a license to sin because you don't understand relationship. You think, Pastor, when he says some things in a minute, you're going to go, man, Pastor said I can just do whatever I want to. I can live any way I want to. No, it all, is, all these other parts that we're going to be talking about in this culture comes out of my relationship. The Bible says, if I'm in the light and I walk in the light and I have fellowship one with another, that the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth, present tense, cleanseth me from all sins. So day in and day out, I'm in this relationship. I'm in this place. How many of you know relationship ebbs and flows? You understand? How many of, don't raise your hand, but how many of you know that person that you are the closest to in life, that there are moments that you love them more than anything else, and then there are other moments? And it's just like, I married that? Really? Wow. What was I thinking? 
Our problem is, is that in the kingdom of God is that we, we don't understand this whole aspect of relationship. And, and because of that, if we're, you know, have you ever been around people who think that they've got to be on a high all the time? You understand? I mean, they're, they're, can, can I just meddle for a moment? They've got to run from meeting to meeting just to stay up. Man, there's something happening over here. Let's go over here. Let's, well, wait a minute. You, you, you don't need to live in a natural place where sometimes relationship does this and sometimes it does this and sometimes it does this. And so you, you've got to learn to walk in relation. If you base your Christianity and, and your, your walk with God on how you feel, you're not going to be saved about half the time. Because there, there are moments in your life you go, I don't feel like being saved today. I feel like killing somebody. All right, I won't kill them, Lord, but I just sure want to shoot them. <laughs> just in the leg. I don't want, but. So you, you can't. Now, don't anybody use that? You, you can't live that. What do we, we live out of this relationship. And so if I understand how relationship operates, then I can understand the rest of the culture of the New Testament. If I don't understand that, then I'll flip this thing and, and I'll begin to use what God has given us in this culture as a license to do whatever I want to. Because the second aspect of this new culture is, the first was rich, not ritual but relationship. The second part is grace, not law. Now, listen, I love grace. I am so thankful for the grace of God. The grace of God is expressed through his love. Here's the interesting thing. Love that goes upward is worship. See, when we come together as the body of Christ, we ought to be worshiping God. Why? Because my love needs to be expressed to God. L listen, when the band starts playing, whether that's here or any of our other campuses or anywhere you might visit, when the band starts playing, that's not just so you can be entertained. We're not performing a concert. Well, I give that a six. Ooh, that one's better. That's an eight. No, we're not critiquing it. We're not sitting back saying, entertain us. No, we have come into the house of God to worship Him, to glorify Him, and to magnify Him because of what He's done. So my love goes upward. That's called worship. And you know, I do that in different ways. The Bible talks about singing to the Lord. The Bible talks about making melody to your Lord. I love this part. The Bible talks about making a joyful noise. For those of us who can't sing... It's what we do. We make a joyful noise in the Lord. The Bible See, I just got all of you who stood back there. You said, well, I can't sing, so therefore I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. No, the Bible said just make a noise. Why? Listen, if I never express my love to God, I never worship. So I need, I need to come in. I need to worship during the week. But I need when I gather together with the body of Christ, I need to come together and say, you know what? Today, I'm going to send my love upward. I'm going to worship God. The Bible says with the clapping of the hands. The Bible says with the shouting of our voice. The Bible even says with the dancing of our feet. Oh, Jesus. That's worship, all right? And so love that goes upward is worship. Love that goes outward is affection. The Bible says, by this shall all men know you are my disciples if you have love one to, one toward the other. It, that, that's what, so when we come together, we ought to have love one for another. Now listen, you don't have to like everybody you go to church with. 
That should have set some of y'all free. I mean, somebody should have shouted on that one. Praise God, I don't have to like everybody. No, but you got to love them. It's like your family. You stuck with them. See, so our love toward one another is affection. But watch this. Love that stoops is grace. God, the Bible says, reached down. He stooped down to us, and his grace rescued us from our sins. His grace took us from that place that you and I deserved to be. In fact, when people say, I don't know why God does this, listen, anything, can I just say this to you and you not react too badly? Anything negative that happens in our life, we deserve it. Now, I'm not teaching a funky theology. Hang on. What I'm saying is, is that if it's negative, if it's bad, you know, if, if, we, if we want to get really crazy, we want to get in the karma thing, I deserve it. Because my life has lived in the way that it's messed up. But grace breaks the cycle of what I deserve and God's mercy reaches down and he pays the price and he stoops down and he picks me up and the Bible says he sets my feet on a solid rock. I, I am no longer guilty of what I have done. I no longer deserve negative. I no longer deserve the bad. I am now an heir and a joint heir. Here we go again, relationship with Jesus Christ. And I now have been placed in a place to receive the blessings of God. So when bad things come along, I don't say, well, I deserve that. No, no, no. Now I say, wait a minute. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but who walk after the Spirit. And, and so I begin to live in this place of grace. He, you say, Pastor, what, what really is grace? Here's what grace is. Grace is to extend favor or kindness to someone who doesn't deserve it and can never earn it. Now think about that. I don't deserve it. I deserve the negative. I deserve the bad. And I sure couldn't get it. Listen, the best person listening to me today, your goodness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags in the sight of God. I mean, some, some of you who, who the worst thing you've ever done was you, you might have had a bad thought about somebody one time. I've met people like that. They just really irritate the fire out of me. <laughs> it's kind of like, really? You feel bad about that? Can I tell you what I feel bad about? <laughs> but <laughs> am I the only one? But even in that, whoever that might be of this group or the group listening, whoever that is, I, I want to tell you, in God's sight, he still has to stoop down and lift us up. See, grace is absolutely free. And you know what? Here's what's wonderful about grace. You will never be asked to repay it. 
It's the prodigal son. It's the story of a guy who leaves home. He's given all the stuff. He goes into a far country. He wasted his, his, his older brother said he wasted it on, on prostitutes and drunkenness and all this. And he comes back home and he's got this great speech prepared about all the negative stuff he's done, all the horrible things he's done. And he just deserves to be a slave in his daddy's house. And as soon as he gets there, his father's grace says, welcome home, get the best shoes, get the best robe, put a ring on his finger, kill the best cow we got out in the barn because my son who was lost has now come home now I want to tell you that's the grace of God it's the picture of the good Samaritan who sees the guy in the ditch whoever all the religious people had walked by him and didn't do anything for him the good Samaritan reaches down picks him up places him on his beast of burden takes him to a hospital says here I'm gonna leave him I'm gonna give you some money and when he's well if there's anything else owed, just don't worry about it I'm coming back to pay for it now that's grace that's grace whatever listen so many of us carry so much junk from the past and we're constantly being reminded of it. What we need to do is understand that the grace of God is bigger than what we're facing. Now, let me explain something to you. When we do wrong, God may administer discipline, but he never turns his back. Never. He never leaves you. He's always there. Now, let me, let me show you what grace does. If you really understand, if you understand this whole thing about relationship, and that's why I had to start there. Because if I'd started with grace, some people wouldn't get it. But if I understand that I'm in a relationship, it's, it's like when you get married. There are some things in a marriage that you do out of respect for the other person. Right? I mean, it's just, I could do this, but I respect my spouse enough, I'm not going to do it. In your relationship with God, it's not all this it's I'm, I'm in a relationship and therefore although his grace would cover anything that I did I choose to live a holy life sold out to him why because I'm in relationship with him see here's what grace does grace helps you appreciate God's gifts when, when something happens and and you understand it's the goodness of God you just go man thank you Lord I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything to get it. I didn't pray enough. I didn't fast enough. I, it, it's just your great. Lord, thank you for your grace. The Bible says all good gifts comes from the Father above of whom there is no shadow of turning. Goodness of God. The, the second thing grace helps us do is it helps us spend less time and energy being critical of others. <laughs> wow, really? Think about it. Have you ever met those people carrying that big old Bible? No, come on. You know, it's, and it's well-worn, too. I mean, they, they, they know every judgment scripture in the Bible. I mean, they, every sin scripture they've got highlighted. I, I mean, they, they can, they can nail, nail you with everything. And they spend all of their time being critical of others, never understanding that no matter what I may be doing that they're judging, that they are just as guilty of something else in their life. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, they'd be in a mess too. So it, it just helps us. When we understand grace, we live in a different way. The third thing that grace, grace helps you do is that grace helps you move into maturity. B because you don't, you don't want to settle 
for where you've been. You say, wait a minute, I want to move into maturity with the Lord. I want to get to that place that God wants me to be. So that's, that's what the grace of God does. So it's relationship, not ritual. It's grace, not, not, uh, not by, by that whole aspect there of, of how we get so wrapped up in all the stuff and all the mess. It's I'm walking in grace, I'm living in grace. And then lastly, it's faith, not works. How many of you remember the story of the Tower of Babel in Scripture? Remember that story? They, they, after the flood, they wanted to build this tower in the heavenlies, and, and it was their works. And you know what God did to their works? He judged it. God always judges our works. So you never can come to God and say, look, I read the Bible enough, I prayed enough, I fasted enough, I witnessed enough, I went to church enough, I paid double tithes, whatever it is. It's, it's never, because God always judges works. But Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's faith. So I'm, I'm not in this whole pl- place of working all right are there works in my life yeah but works follow faith i have to have faith first behavior follows belief once i understand why i believe in god and how he has saved me then my behavior lines up with that it's it's in the same way that that fruit follows seed you don't have a seed that has fruit. You have the seed first, and then you have the fruit. It's the same way uh, in your walk and in your relationship with God. And, and so when you love God that way, the, the Bible lets us know that, that we need to love God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And, and I've read a thing years ago where this young guy went to this older man, and he said uh, he had a, this whole list of things could he do. You know, you know how we all have these lists. We want to know what we can do and still not go to hell. Right? Can we do this and go to heaven? Can we do this? And he, he was at his whole litany. And finally, the, the old man looked at him, and, and he said to him, um, here's, here's what I want to tell you. He said, love God with all your heart, then do as you please. Did you get it? If you'll love God with all your heart, guess what you're going to be doing? You're going to be living a life to please the Lord. See, the apostles exhibited great faith. I mean, you read their life, it's about miracles, signs, and wonders. But what you understand is, is that they had some messed up backgrounds. There were some things about them that weren't that great, but they were able to live in the power of the Holy Spirit in this new culture because they understood that it was by faith, not by works. So when we get there, we can live. Now, how do I live in this place? Can I, can I do this real quickly? I'm going to give you three things. Go to the book of Romans, the sixth chapter, because I want to show you some things. Here's how you live in this new culture. Here's how you live in this relationship. The book of Romans, the sixth chapter, the third verse says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I'm going to give you three words. I hope you write these down. The first word is know, K-N-O-W, know. Or don't you know that those of us who were baptized. Now, let me ask you a question today. How many of you have been saved at some point in your past? All right, here's the next question. After you were saved, how many of you had days that everything wasn't going good? All right, now, here's why the Scripture says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized, and it uses the word know, the reason is, is because my encounter with God in salvation, the devil can mess with. 
He, he can come to me and say, oh, did you really get saved? Did you really repent of all of your sins? Did you really confess everything that you've ever done? And for some of us, we'd be at the altar for years. I mean, you just be, I mean, I give up. All right? But the Bible says, don't you know that all of us who were buried with Christ in baptism were buried into his death? Watch this. The reason that baptism is important in your life is because it helps you to know that something has changed. And so when you get saved, then you're to be baptized. The Bible says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Why? Because when the devil starts messing with you, you say, whoa, 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 whoa. You may say whatever you want to say, but I remember on such and such a day at such and such a place, I went into the waters of baptism and I died to my old self and I came up as a new creation in Christ Jesus, the old having passed away and behold, having all things have become new. The word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to dip or to immerse. When they got ready to take a piece of cloth and to change the color, let's say it was white linen, they would take it and they wanted something burgundy, they would take it and they would baptize the cloth. They would put it into the water, under the water, and they would leave it there until when they pulled it back out, it was never, ever the same. Baptism is so that you know that you will never, ever be the same so the bible says no so i live in this relationship i know i'm baptized into christ i'm changed forever but the second thing romans 6 11 we're in that same romans part it says in the same way count yourselves dead to sin but alive to god in christ jesus and and so the second thing is is that you've got to consider all right First thing is you've got to know. Second thing, it says count or consider yourselves dead to sin. How do I do that? How, how many of you, let me ask this. How many of you still, some, just nod, don't raise your hand. How, how many of you still struggle with sin sometimes? Don't even nod real big, just I do like this. Do a bobble head a little bit, you know. All right. So how do I consider myself dead to sin? Here's how I do it. I record it in my brain. I tell myself, you know what? I'm dead to sin. How do I know I'm dead to sin? Because I was baptized. I know that. I know I was baptized. So therefore, now I consider myself every day that I'm dead to sin. The Bible says that we are in Christ, and if I'm in Christ, then I'm dead to sin. So I'm dead. I'm, I went into Christ. I'm dead to sin. But watch this. The Bible also says that Christ is in us. So if I'm in Christ, I'm dead to sin. But if Christ is in me, then his power is being released through me. So I am to consider that I'm dead to sin by being in Christ, but I am also to consider that the power of the Holy Spirit is inside of me, and I can daily say, God, I am depending upon you because in my weakness you become my strength, and I depend upon that, and I consider that on a daily basis. Wow. Romans 8, or excuse me, Romans 6, 13 and 14 says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought, bought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And it goes on to say, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. So the third word today is, I've got to know, 
I've got to consider. Thirdly, I've got to present myself. The Bible says we are to offer or we are to present ourselves unto God, not unto wickedness anymore. What would happen to you if you got up in the morning and said, Lord, I give myself to you. I present myself to you today. See, I want to tell you, if you would learn to live in this new culture, you would learn to be an overcomer and a person who daily is understanding what God is doing in you and through you and for you. And you would see his glory being demonstrated. I want you to watch something today. Good morning, you guys. I'd just like to take a minute to describe to you some of the battles, some of the struggles that I've faced in my life and how, how God has been so gracious and so merciful to me through so many things. See, I grew up in a Christian family, a God-fearing home where my mother was always on fire for the Lord, always, as long as I've known her, as long as, as I've been around. She's been on fire for the Lord, but my father was not the same way. And in 1996, in Pensacola, Florida, my father had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that completely changed his life completely changed him. He just had a, a Saul to Paul conversion that I saw with my very own eyes. Well, in 1999, my father was serving the Lord. He was doing an outreach, and he was killed instantly when a stage fell on him. And I just, I had seen the transformation of my father's life. I'd seen what God had done, and I just could not understand how an all-powerful, all-loving God could allow something like that to happen to my father and to me. And it devastated my life. And I went to God and I said, God, if this is the way that you treat those that love you, those that give their life to you, I will never serve you, God. I will never serve you. If this is the way you treat those that love you and that give their lives to you. And I became defiant. I became obstinate. And I, I just told him, I'll never serve you again, Lord. I'll never serve you. And I went from being someone who was being successful at life to someone who just couldn't complete. I couldn't finish anything. And just the next 10 years of my life were utter chaos, just destruction. I found myself in bondage to drugs and in bondage to alcohol and just running from the Lord. And I remembered something. I was in Gastonia, North Carolina in 2007. I was laying on the floor of a crack house, just, just utter destruction in my life in every way imaginable. And I remembered something that my mom had taught me as a little boy. She said, if you ever find yourself surrounded by the enemy, if you ever found, find yourself in bondage and in change. She said, just cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus, and he'll come and deliver you wherever you find yourself. And I want you to know in 2007 on the floor of a crack house in Gastonia, North Carolina, I cried out and I said, Jesus, deliver me. Jesus, if you don't come into this place and set me free, I will die in my sin. And just over the next, the next week or so of my life, God began to put people into my life to open the doors for me to go to Teen Challenge. And I went to Teen Challenge for a year, and I want you to know that God set me completely free. He delivered me from all of that, and I've been free ever since. And then not long after we moved back to Milan, after I graduated Teen Challenge, God just showed us that love and truth was the, the church that we were supposed to start coming to. And Every time we would come into the door, I would look at Ruby and I would say, Ruby, who have you been talking to here? How is it that Pastor Eddie knows everything that's going on in our life? Because every time he would speak a message, every time he would preach, it would just hit us right between the eyes. What he was preaching, what he was saying was exactly what we needed to hear for what we were going through in our life. We've been so thankful to come here. 
We've been so thankful to be invited in and to be loved on by the people at this church. And I just give all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor to the Lord Jesus for what he's done in our life. 